Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. What you're saying is true. This is uh, like blood, sweat, and tears. This is all me. Good. Um, it's very vulnerable, and, and it's emotional. Like, you know, I, I, I go get coffee at the same place every day, and, you know, I talk to those guys, and I'm like, uh, and they're like, when's it coming out? And I just start, you know, tears streaming down my cheek, and they're like, what's wrong? I'm like, I'm just happy you guys are a part of this. And they're like, what are you talking about? Are you getting coffee or not? <laughs> <laughs> The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. We wish Jason Fried all the success. In the Absolutely. World. And Jared Fried. Yes. And Jerry Fried. <laughs> and, and, and Alan Fried. Alan Fried as all well. The yes. Um, so, apparently, we've gotten a couple of emails <laughs> about PTI being canceled. Do you want to explain this? It was very odd. You get one and you're like, okay, well, that's, you know, maybe somebody just read something wrong or got bad intel. And it was. Dear Tony, what a great run. That's a great run. I will miss you and Mike so much. Just Me a too. great show. I don't understand what's going on at ESPN, why they would cancel PTI, but thank you for all the years and best yeah. of luck. And then like... If you get one, you go, okay. Right. But we got two. Yeah. And it was the same sort of thing. It was like, oh my yeah. goodness, how could this happen? Okay. So as I sit here at eight o'clock in the morning on Friday... I haven't been told PTI was canceled. I think at some point they'd have to tell me. We have been preempted for the Little League World Series. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> in the past, we would go on ESPN2, but there was a sort of common agreement that there's no point in going on ESPN2. Just give us the time off because we have a certain amount of shows we have to do and we're going to reach that number. So give us the time off. If we're canceled, it was a great run. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Right? And yes. Mike and I are going to miss it like crazy. Yeah. I don't think we were canceled. <laughs> Nobody's told me. So we're supposed to be back on the air at some point next week, though I may take the last few days off because of my leg and all. But, but to my knowledge, we haven't been canceled. If you know something that I don't, by all means, yeah, is there a just coup? let me know. Is there... Is there a website that says PTI was canceled? So I don't think it was canceled. Anyway, uh, it's fun to get that. Let me thank a couple of people. Crystal at Candy Nostalgia at Bob Howard's General Store in New Hyde Park, Long Island. Sent us six Sky Bars. Six Sky Bars. At the back of the wrapper, it says, this is the authentic Sky Bar. It was made by Neko for 80 years, from 1938 until March 2018. Sky Bar Confectionery Company was established specifically to take over production of this beloved and iconic candy bar for you. Please enjoy its deliciousness and join the Sky Bar family, and it gives a web address. Isn't That's that wonderful. Now, you know. for those who aren't overly familiar with the Sky, Sky Bar, bar is, is four separate filled mounds of milk chocolate and they are filled with caramel vanilla peanut and chocolate fudge it's a pretty good candy it's a bar. great candy bar i mean from my youth it's a great candy bar also nigel tell the story of getting the mcconnell's coffee ice cream oh yes uh so i was over at wegman's because that seems to be an addiction for me these days <laughs> going to wegman's four times a day and i always swing by the um the the, the ice cream section i'm i'm trying to find this brand adirondack because I really want to try that right. coffee brand. And all of a sudden, I see McConnell's, the ice cream that we spoke Which we about. called about, we called McCormick's at one point. Yes. And you saw it at, I believe, another established Safeway for what, ten twenty nine a pint? I didn't see it for ten twenty nine. Carol saw it oh, for ten twenty nine. Okay. And so, she didn't buy it. And yeah. I wouldn't have bought it either. So I looked at it. But we did, get, we did get a couple of emails that said that it often goes on sale in the sevens. 
So I saw it for $7.99. Don't know if it was on sale. Don't know if that was the regular price at Wegmans. But I immediately grabbed a pint and was very happy to deliver that to you. I opened it last night. And? Okay. It has some <laughs> schmutz in it. Oh. Now, I will tell you, the schmutz is inoffensive. It is ground up espresso beans. It's okay. It's not giant chunks of the stuff Oreo like cookies. Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. yeah, yeah I don't yeah. like that. But, you know, a little dusting of espresso beans is just totally harmless. The ice cream is really good. It's not sweet at all. It's not sweet at all. Hmm. I mean, it's really good. It's dark. Um, Most coffees are very light in color. Most coffees have sugary content to them. And I like a lot of light coffees. But this one's really good. And it's dark, and as I said, not sugary at all. I mean, it really tastes different. Mm. It's really intriguing. So thank you for getting that. Of course, I wouldn't go ten twenty nine. No, no, not ten twenty. Now, would it be fair to say it's from? It's made in Santa Barbara. Yeah. So, so maybe the shipping uh, makes it cost more money out here. Yeah, in the east. Yeah. Um, Would Would it be fair to say that that is now the leader in the clubhouse of the ones that we've tried? Oh, I've liked all the ones that we've tried. I mean, I like coffee ice cream. You know, I just don't like Breyer's coffee ice cream. I like Howard Johnson's coffee ice cream. If Howard Johnson still exists. Yes. I don't know if I it remember still exists. that, yes. I don't know if it's... And that was a very light yeah. and sweet coffee ice cream. All right, so let, let me pull back the curtain on the show a little bit. First of all, my friend Curry Kirkpatrick yelled at me yesterday for talking about my leg. He says, just stop, it's disgusto. <laughs> I said, Curry... Curry's, Curry's doing a podcast now uh, on Hilton Head. Curry's lived in Hilton Head for 50 years. He's one of the great sports writers of all time at Sports Illustrated. And he's beginning to get into the podcast game. I said, Curry, you need to understand something. When people tune into a podcast, it's not like radio where they're in their car and they like a certain station and you happen to be on it. You're only with them for as long as it takes them to drive to where they're going. It's, it's not appointment for you. It's appointment for them in the car. Podcast is different. Podcast, people want to hear about you. Yes. They want to hear disgusto <laughs> about your leg, which, by the way, is only marginally better. Only marginally better. And I have to see somebody about this today. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you have to talk about yourself. If you don't talk about yourself, there's no reason. You're, you're trying to build... A club here. You're trying to build a community, and the common denominator is going to be you. So, just a little bit of a small lesson to Curry Kirkpatrick, who's a great sports writer. I don't want to do the Nats right now. Nats were up nine one in the seventh, and then it was nine seven, nine one in the seventh. Um, if you're following the golf, the leaderboard on the golf, the BMW, is spectacular. Within three shots of the lead. Okay, the lead is 65. Brian Harmon and Rory McIlroy have the lead. So from minus two to minus five. <clears throat> Brian Harmon is the British Open champion. Rory McIlroy is the first, second, or third best player in the world. Wyndham Clark is the U.S. Open champion. Matt Fitzpatrick was the U.S. Open champion last year. Ricky Fowler is likely the comeback player of the year. Scotty Scheffler is the second-ranked player of the year. Colin Morikawa has two majors. Patrick Cantlay, fourth-ranked player in the world. Max Homa, sixth-ranked player in the world. John Rahm, 
first-ranked player in the world and the Masters champion. And the only reason they don't have the PGA champion, who's Brooks Kepka, is because he's not on the PGA Tour. It's as simple as that. Yeah. It's one of the great leaderboards ever. It really ever. is. So strong. Wilbon's so happy. Just thrilled. All right. I said I'd pull back the curtain. I'm going to pull back the curtain in this regard. You try to do... When you sit down to think about a show, you try to do the best show possible. And we do the best show possible all the time. But there were two stories that were out there within the last 24 hours that I thought would be really good to talk about, even though neither of them is in my wheelhouse. One is the Women's World Cup because of the firing of the coach, Vlatko Andonovsky. Now, it's said he stepped away. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He stepped away. Yeah. Right. They came to a meeting of the minds and it went sort of like this. Vlatko, you're out. <laughs> and he says, OK, can I say I stepped away? And I said, sure. <laughs> sure say whatever you want. Right. So I thought that that would be meaningful because it was a one and done for this guy. And it's obviously because the Women's World Cup team stunk in relative terms. They went out quicker than any of them had ever gone out before. Yes, earliest exit. You know, and, and I thought maybe we could talk to somebody with experience about that. And I thought first of Julie Foudy. Because if I'm not mistaken, Julie Foudy was on two Women's World Cup winners and has two Olympic gold medals for soccer. I believe that's correct. Plus, she's a great talker. And she went to uh, not Princeton, to Stanford. So not only could we talk to her about soccer, but we could say, what's going on with Stanford and the (laughs) Pac-12? And she lives in California. But she's busy. She's otherwise occupied. She's apparently doing the Little League World Series. Yes, Said a very lovely note. Little League World Series, which has canceled PTI. (laughs) We're done. (laughs) We're going to play nothing 365 days a year, Little League World Series. No PTI. Okay. So we couldn't get Julie. So I said, okay, well, we're not going to do it. Yeah. I mean, because we're not going to get somebody I don't know. And, you know, there's no point. It's only interesting if the guest is interesting. Correct. You know, so we didn't do that. The second story was what I consider a fascinating story about the people involved in the book and the movie, the award-winning movie, The Blind Side. I believe Sandra Bullock won an Academy Award. She did. For playing Leanne Tui. Yes. Married to Sean Tui. And they are the couple that adopted, we believed, adopted Michael Orr, O-H-E-R, who was a big kid, big high school kid, who then went to college on a scholarship and was an offensive lineman of consequence and played eight or nine years in the NFL. Yeah, for the Ravens, I think, initially, right? Yeah. Yeah. And in the last week or so, it has come out that Michael Orr is suing. He has denied that he was ever legally adopted by the Tuies. He is indicating he thinks they've cheated him out of a lot of money from the blind side. Um, And he wants the money back. And he said, you know, they made me sign papers that put my money in a conservatorship. I don't even know what that means. I don't know what what I'm saying now. I don't know what it means, but I know this. I know that there's acrimony. Yes. And I know that it caught everybody, like me, completely by surprise. So there was a story in the Washington Post yesterday interviewing Michael Lewis. Michael Lewis is the best nonfiction writer working today. Okay, here is the chain of great nonfiction writing in America. Tom Wolf, link one, Michael Lewis, link two, how about dinner? That's, that's it. Now, there were people out there who I love and respect. I love nobody more than I love Bob Woodward. 
But Bob Woodward's a report's different. Bob Woodward yes. is going after a subject in a very different way than Michael Lewis did and Tom Wolfe did. They're writing novels that are nonfiction. Yes. Bob's writing re- repertorial stuff. It's, 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 it's different. They're different categories. And Michael Lewis was explaining to the Washington Post how the money from the movie wasn't really there. You know, that everybody got a certain amount of money when the book was bought to go to the movies, but, it, but the money wasn't exactly there. So I called Remnick, and I said, he got a number for Michael Lewis, and he said, I've got an email, so I sent him an email. And then he said, I think Gladwell's got a number, so I <laughs> left a message, Nigel heard my message, yes. that I left from Michael Lewis. Yes. And I got a text back. And Michael Lewis said, thanks a lot. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm to stay away from this and write about it myself. Oh, sure. Which is, and you know what? L- let, me under- let me make you understand something. I don't do anybody's podcast. I won't even do Pablo's. <laughs> I love Pablo. I don't do them. I don't want to do them. If a talented guy like Michael Lewis says, I take a pass, and, you know, via con Dios, that's okay. Yes. That's okay. When he says, I'm going to write about it, I said, I'll wait and read it because it's going to be great. Yeah. And he's going to explain all of it. And it's going to settle this in, in my mind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I thought, well, if I, can't, if I can't get Julie Foudy to do the Women's World Cup and I can't get Michael Lewis to do the Michael Laura story, we'll pass on those stories. We'll do a regular show, a wonderful show. We're going to have Pat Forty and we're going to have Barry Zerluk, a wonderful show. But you pull back the curtain a little bit so you know that when we sit here and we try to come up with a show, we're thinking. Yes. You know, we're taking a few shots. We're, we're seeing if this would happen. Do I think, I, I would love to talk to both of those people about these subjects whenever. Yeah. Whenever. Yeah. But I'm really happy with the show we've got. And having said that, Pat Forty comes in next, and I'm Tony Kornheiser. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. I am a fan of the big four. Of the big four, I'm a fan. Washington State, Oregon State. Cal and the Stanford Band, the Big Four has a glowing history. I'm happy and proud to say, Joe Cap, John Elway, Gardner Minshew, TJ, who's day <laughs> This fall, maybe you'll be watching Bama, Michigan, Ohio State. But I'll be tuned to the Big Four in the shadow of the Golden Gate. How could anybody look away? How could anybody not care? 
the beavers and the cougars, the cardinal and the golden bears. Big Four, that's my conference. The Big Four's how I roll. Rah, 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 and see those boys stumble toward the goal. Come for the lore of the Big Four. Stay for how they play. Joe Cap, John Elway, Gardner, Minshew, TJ, who's mine, Jade. Joe Cap, John Elway, Gardner, Minshew, TJ, who's mine, Jade. He's brilliant. He's brilliant. <laughs> Dan Byrne is simply brilliant. He really he is. He plays in Pat Forty. And every time we have Pat on, there's only two questions. There's only two questions. One question is, what's going on with Harbaugh? And the second question is, what's going on with the conferences? There's only two questions. Right? You, you must go crazy at night because there's only two questions. We play the hits, Tony. We keep playing the hits. The hits keep hitting us back. And I have to say that is a that I'm in awe of that song. That's, oh, that's outstanding. T.J. Hushmanzada being memorialized now in song. I I never saw that coming. Yeah. Well, let's start with Harbaugh. I, I mean, the Harbaugh thing. I I am so lost in this. It's sort of like it feels like the Hunter Biden plea deal fell through. I don't understand what's going on with this. Do you? <laughs> no, feel free to really... use that line because it came to me last night. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah. Very good. All lines are stealable. Yeah. Um, I, it's, uh, I, I mean, it, it hasn't been fully adequately explained, that's for sure. So we really don't know. You know, as has kind of been the case all along with this, you know, somebody on the Michigan side leaked something. Um, and, you know, the, the Committee on Infractions, has the latitude to say basically what you we don't like the plea deal or we don't we we do not accept the plea deal right. we want to go to a full trial so to speak uh and that appears to be the case why they don't like it hasn't been explained it could be it would seem to me my read is they don't think four games is enough in this that you know if, if it was too much and I, and I don't think you go to a full hearing for that you just come back and say ah give them two games instead so I think this ends up going to a full hearing, and Harbaugh could get slammed harder in 2024 if he's still the coach. He might be back trying to get into the NFL for the third straight year. It's just, there's a, a primary tenet of the American judicial system is justice delayed is justice denied. We are told that Jim Harbaugh lied to the NCAA. We are told that there is this elaborate punishment that includes missing a whole bunch of games against nobody really important except maybe Rutgers, if Rutgers is any good. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. They're not as good as Michigan. And then it, then it is taken off the table. How can there be no punishment if this is true? <laughs> well, the NCAA specializes in justice delayed. Right. Like that's all they do. They right. don't do anything fast. They, you know, they can't get anything resolved in an expeditious amount of time. So this is kind of par for the course, although, again, unusual to have a negotiated resolution come back and say, no, we need a do-over on that. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, what this does is, is a, a Michigan's perhaps best team since they won the national championship in 1997 
would appear to be headed towards going through this season completely unencumbered. Uh, so congratulations on justice delayed being to your benefit in this case. Uh, you know, the, but the NCAA again cannot get out of its own way ever in expediting these things. So this is a, this is kind of what we're used to. Things taking years and years and years. Do you think that Jim Harbaugh is guilty of this infraction, which is essentially lying to NCAA investigators? Yeah, I don't think that he or Michigan would have agreed to this penalty. Right. <clears throat> otherwise, you know, I mean, Harbaugh, immensely prideful, uh, potentially you could say arrogant, fine, uh, is not going to say, yeah, you know what, uh, give me four games. I, I lied, you know, if, if, if he didn't. So I think from, from everything I've been able to gather, he said he did not, was not present for this meeting slash breakfast with uh, recruits when they weren't supposed to have meetings slash breakfast with recruits and then was presented with evidence that indicated, oh, indeed you were there. And that, you know, may have had this, not just the receipts, but the literal receipts on this. And uh, so, you know, I think there was no choice but to, agree to something here now the question is did 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 he and michigan look at it and say well this really isn't that bad so let's just go with it uh but i don't i think that yes jim harbaugh probably we don't know everything yet but probably bears some culpability here i know it's funny to compare it to hunter biden but it feels true it's like and donald trump and all of these things that go on where people are appear to be in violation of a law and a lot of people line up and they say the law is not big enough for anybody to really care about it. But you, you get in this position, Pat, where the, authoritari- the, the authority looks foolish, looks foolish. I mean, you, you have a deal or you don't have a deal. You think he did it or, or, or he didn't do it. It's supposed to be this year. What do you mean it won't be this year? What? Yeah, no, I mean, look, the, the NCAA does nothing but look foolish. And I do think part of the context here, Tony, is Tennessee had what some people said was like the worst set of violations they had ever seen in the Committee on Infractions. 200 and some instances of rule breaking, and they didn't get a postseason ban. And a lot of people were like, well, See, the NCAA is never going to really punish anybody again. Right. And so they're looking, saying, well, here's the next case down the pipe, and Jim Harbaugh is going to get a third of a season, and Bruce Pearl got fired, and Des Bryant got his career ended for lying to the NCAA. Maybe we're going to look foolish here again, which, again, is what the NCAA does. And there are no rules anymore. There are no rules anymore. You pay players. There are no rules. I mean, if anybody out there doesn't think – that college football is pro football, they're not paying attention, right, Pat? It's pro football. Absolutely. No. I mean, <laughs> yes. The, 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 the number of rules that are no longer rules, I guess you would say, yeah. is lengthy or at least unenforceable at this point. I mean, Missouri just got a commitment from the number three player in the nation over Georgia and Oklahoma, and the belief is that – there's you know there's a state rule, law in Missouri that NIL you can give a kid a ton of money while he's still in high school. So this was straight up right. a package buy, you know, play for pay for play. The NCAA says it's against the rules. Are they going to enforce it? I don't know. I mean, you know what Harbaugh did is kind of the same thing as if say 
you know, the, the Patriots held an illegal workout. When you're, and in part of the season, you're not supposed to hold an illegal workout. So those rules do exist. But can the NCAA enforce anything? I don't know. That's very weird. All right, let's move to the sec- second question, because the second question is conferences. You know, there's Harbaugh and there's conferences. Stanford and Cal, you're the father of a Stanford grad. <laughs> Stanford's the best academic-athletic combo in the country. Everybody understands that. Cal, Cal's the best... Cal and Michigan are the two best public schools, UVA, those three, right? The three best public schools in the country. Where is Stanford and Cal at the moment? Kick to the curb. <laughs> Welcome to College Athletics 2023, where, you know, if the, if the TV executives don't like you, you got nothing. You know, it's, it's when the Pac-12 disintegrated, the, there were people – Within the Big Ten, presidents who were like, "Well, let's go get, let's get not just Oregon and Washington, let's get Cal and Stanford too." I mean, those are elite academic institutions; yeah. those are Olympic farm systems, basically. Uh, and Fox is like, "Eh, not really. They know not enough people watch them." And so the presidents who supposedly care about academics at you know good schools like Michigan and Northwestern and wherever else in that league, they're like, "Oh, okay." If that's what TV says, we'll go along with that. And so Cal and Stanford are, have their noses pressed against the ACC window, hoping they can get in. But right now, there's, the votes aren't there for them. You need 12 out of 15 members to vote for their admission, and there's at least four lined up against them. And so it's an amazing world that Cal and Stanford could have nowhere to go. How can the ACC not want two great academic schools. The ACC has Virginia, it has Duke, it has North Carolina, it has Wake. I think we would agree those are the top four academics, maybe Georgia Tech, five. Um, but how could, how could the ACC, which talks about academics a lot, you know, even though they have Florida State, you know, um, how could they not want Cal and, and, and Stanford? How could you not? I, I, same reason. How much money are they going to bring to the table? Uh, do they help us with our TV contract? Uh, th- that's the that's that's the ruling principle here. It's that's it. There's four the four schools that are lined up against them: Florida State, Clemson, duh, duh, duh. Uh, North Carolina, and North Carolina State. And North Carolina State's basically going along with North Carolina because that's what they're supposed to do. Uh, but North Carolina is the one that surprised. Yeah, that's I don't understand that. That's a good academic school. Don't understand it. Yeah, yeah, a good academic school, a great Olympic sports school that is telling other schools that care about Olympic sports, nah, we don't want you. And whether maybe there's fear of competition there because Stanford all of a sudden comes in and wins four of the titles you're used oh, yeah. to winning in the ACC. Sure. I, I don't know, but yeah. I mean, it's Stanford's uh, going to go win golf and swimming. That's for sure. Yeah. They're well, Virginia do that. wins swimming, women swimming, um, but it's uh, no, it's it's a very strange thing right now that mm. uh, you know that 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 those two schools don't have a home, and specifically that the ACC is standing in the way of them for reasons other than logistics. It's it's a money reason. It's it's interesting to me. I, I mean, I what I'm going to suggest and and offer now has no money in it. I mean, it's just that there's not a lot of money. But Stanford ought to go to Northwestern and Vanderbilt and Cal and Virginia and Duke and Rice and Tulane and Georgia Tech and build a conference. But if there's no football power, it's not going to work, right? Because football drives the bus. Football drives the bus. 
Football drives the revenue for all the other sports that you're good at. Um, I mean, I agree. That would make sense. Or even if Stanford just said, you know what? We're going to treat football the way the Ivy League schools do. We're just going to defund it. You know, we're going to go down to FCS level and still be good at the other sports. Uh, But nobody wants to do that. Nobody will take that step. Uh, First of all, yeah, where do you fund the other sports from? And secondly, there are still fans out there at those schools that care and want to be quote-unquote big time by being in these big conferences and bringing in tens of millions of dollars. So is Dan Byrne actually right? Next year, will it be the pack four? Is that all it's going to be? I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I don't think it will be the pack four. It'll be, it could be the mountain West pack 12, you know, merger or something. Right, right. It could be, you know, some other form of the American athletic conference wants them, of course, Sure. Because you know Stanford is dying to be in a conference with East Carolina. Uh, <laughs> you know, there, there, there are no good options available for the Bay Area schools. If, if, the, if the ACC thing falls through once and for all, and they've had everybody, like Connie Rice is calling on behalf of Stanford, uh, Jerry Yang, the founder of Yahoo, everybody, all these people are trying. But if, if they can't break through this, I don't know what they do. It's so weird. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about it again and again and again and again. Pug your podcast for us. College Football Inquirer uh, with Dan Wetzel, Ross Dellinger. Uh, twice weekly for now. They start playing games. We'll be three times weekly, so wow. give it a listen. Okay. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. Pat Forty, boys and girls. You can read his work in Sports Illustrated. Uh, we'll take a break. Barry Zaluga will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is River Iris. This is a song called Lemon Juice. This is real talent. Yes, it is. Oh, it just, yeah, we played a lot of her stuff, and it's always amazing. This is real talent, River Iris. If people like River Iris and I just want to send us their original music, how do they do it? You can send this to us at jingles at TonyCornagerShow.com. We ask that it be your original work, and we ask it be yours. Like if you've got a friend or a cousin or a nephew or a niece that's great, you've got to get them to email us with the permission as well. But please, we want your original music. Send it to us. Jingles at TonyCornagerShow.com. River Iris, real name is Alyssa Dawson, Grant McGuire in Huntington, West Virginia. It's his daughter-in-law, and he sends us this stuff, and it's absolutely fabulous. Plays in Barry's Verluga. Barry wrote a column the other day. Um, I am obsessed with the Nats, so I, I have, I read every word of these things, and I think about them. And, and you wrote about, in essence, how money this year in baseball, with the possible exception of the Texas Rangers, Money in the top three areas, the New York Mets, the New York Yankees, and the San Diego Padres, is now on the verge of producing three teams in under 500 
They're not going to make the playoffs. Maybe a late run by the Yankees, maybe, but I don't know. Mets aren't making it. Padres aren't going to make it. Spent all this money. And you compared and contrasted that with the Nats who don't spend any money and are doing better than expected. But we wouldn't want to take the position that spending money is a bad idea, right? I mean, because so, so often you make, look at Texas, look at what they've done by spending a pile of dough. Yeah, this is not A leads to B. It's yeah. that A doesn't ensure anything. Um, and I think I would never, ever, ever argue that um, what the Baltimore Orioles are doing with the second lowest payroll in baseball and the best record in the American League is sustainable, and neither would the Orioles. Because right. what they're doing is um, that because they were so bad for so long, they hit on the picks, not just the number one overall picks, but picks further down the draft. And now they have a collection of young talent that makes zero money. And um, they haven't started to fill in with the necessary free agents uh, and veterans that they will need, I would say, I don't think they're going to blitz through this postseason and just win the World Series in, in the first iteration of this good team. I, I think it's going to take some supplementary spending. But what the point is that if you're Steve Cohen and you essentially have a bottomless pit of, of cash, spending that on your major league roster to the tune of 300 and I can't remember, 443 million, a record sum for a, for a major league baseball team does not just buy a championship. I mean, he spent $86.6 million on two pitchers, Justin Berlander and Max Scherzer. They're not there. Who are not there. They're not there. $86.6 million is more than five teams spent on their total payroll. Um, And two of those teams, Baltimore and Tampa Bay, will make the postseason this year. So it's it's just a – it's absolutely not a way to say – don't spend money on good baseball players. It's a way to say spending money on baseball players does not guarantee wins. It's an odd thing because um, when the Yankees, who had been a very bad team when CBS owned them in the 60s, when they were sold to George Steinbrenner and they became very quickly a very, very great team, the phrase was always the best team money could buy. And it became sort of taken as fact that if you spent a lot of money, you would win. And that's probably true if you spend it wisely, although I would have said Cohn spent it wisely. I mean, it's just hard for me to believe that Edwin Diaz going out in that freak way led to all of this. You know what I mean? I, I didn't think it was spent unwisely. Did you? I didn't. Not as unwisely as it turned out. I mean, that is a total dumpster fire there yeah. in a way that you couldn't have foreseen. Now, I mean, Verlander and Scherzer weren't, certainly weren't the problem, but there were health hiccups with both uh, along the way, and that's predictable for pitchers in and around 40. Yeah. Francisco Lindor was a huge spend early in the Cohen era. He has, he's not been the problem, but he's also not been a shortstop that has lifted the franchise and carried them through hard times um, either. So um, I think, Tony, one thing that's happened here, too, is that there's been, in, in a non-PED Era, And I, I don't want to say that flatly. Like, I, I, I don't want to be naive to the fact that maybe there are the robbers are ahead of the cops and there are people doing stuff to, to help them um, with their careers. But broadly, in a non-PED era, the power in the game has shifted to younger. Your prime as a position player is no longer really 28 to 33. 
it's probably 24 to 30. And what does that do? That shifts your best production into your pre-free agency years. And your pre-free agency years are your pre-big money years. Yes. So um, yes. that means that the core of a team can really be the guys who are in their first six years or seven years of service time, have not reached free agency, can make big money in their last years of arbitration, but not the 30 and 35 million that they would make on the open market. And that's a way that this kind of financial puzzle fits together and, and makes having a more reasonable, reasonable payroll um, more likely to be competitive. The Washington Nationals have a very reasonable payroll. If you take Patrick Corbin and Steven Strasburg out of it, it's probably one of the five lowest in baseball. You would know better than I. And they've also done better than I expected. I had them win in 50. I, I, I didn't see they would win more than 50. They've played very well lately. Patrick Corbin, by the way, is heroic to me, Barry, because he goes out there every fifth day. He asks for the ball. He talks to the press. He does the best he can. He's not the pitcher you thought he was for $150 million, but he never complains about his job, right? I admire him. It's incredible, actually. And I'm not, you know, I'm long. I've picked over the carcass of of Patrick Corbin uh, many, many times, but I think a couple months ago I wrote exactly that. I mean, so many guys who, I mean, this, if there's no overstating it, this guy has been the worst starting pitcher in baseball since 2020 years. to 2022. Yep. It probably mitigates it um, a little bit this year because he's, he's steadied the ship a little bit. But he was awful. And awful pitchers often say, you know what, my shoulder is really acting up. Not and I don't, I don't think I can take, and this guy not does him. not do that. And I know that internally they have gone to him and said, like, hey, man, do you, you want to be shut down for a while? And he said, no, no, no. I'm, I signed that $160 million contract to pitch baseballs. I am healthy enough to do it. I'm going to do that. And um, there's, a, there's a tone set, a professionalism uh, set that, that can't it's be overstated. Great. It's great. He almost got. He almost had to be plotzing in the dugout last night. He leaves 9-1 in the seventh, and Garcia comes in and gives up six <laughs> runs on two bombs. I mean, you know, they did everything they could to try to lose that game. I, I, I don't want to get started on that, but where is the sale of this team? You know, I look, at, I look at the football team, and I have every confidence in the world that by this time next year, Every single coach and general manager on the football team will have been fired, and Eric Bieniemy will be the head coach. I believe that's going to happen. Is there something in place with the baseball team? Zero. I mean, it oh. is a complete state of limbo, and I know that people in that clubhouse and people in the business offices and people in all elements of the franchise are um, – not on pins and needles because that would indicate that something is afoot more yeah. on like what, what is our future here? And therefore what is our, our direction and who will be setting it? The manager, Davey Martinez has a contract that sp- expires at the end of the season. The general manager, Mike Rizzo has a contract that expires at the end of the season. Um, I don't expect a sale to happen quickly after, after the season. Um, that would mean there would have to be some, action taken by the Lerner family to either move on from those people or I would say extend those people because, um, as you said, this this season, the direction you can now see on the field, and I was down to see their, their top pick 
Dylan Cruz last night at A Ball. Like it's there's stuff on the way here. Yeah, but the entire thing is in a kind of a status quo, and the status quo is like a very uneasy, unsettled, unsure state. I'm now going to get to my obsession with Dominic Smith. <laughs> I'm just going. Boy, I don't share this. I'm going to lay this out for you. He has 31 RBI. They've played 120 games, and he's played almost all of them. The Nats, they traded a third baseman. They sent down a second baseman. They've juggled around in left field all season long. They sent down a center fielder. And Dominic Smith, even though, and he's he's pretty good, pretty good defensive first baseman, but he plays all the time. Only recently have they put Manessis at first, and Manessis is responding. I don't think he's responding to that. But Manessis is at first because right now Manessis is, and Ruiz are very, very hot, and they've got to be out there all the time, one, one at DH and one playing all the time. But is there nobody in the organization, nobody they want to see at first, nobody, a third baseman, an outfielder, nobody they want to see at first? And please tell me so, I'm wrong about Dom Smith, but it drives me well, crazy. I, I, I come to this unprepared to be Dom Smith's attorney, but okay. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> I'm, one, I think the answer to your question, is there nobody in the organization? The answer is no, there's nobody in the organization. Two, um, and, and again, while they matched last season's win total of 55 yesterday with 40 games to go, yeah. um, and that's real progress at the major league level, the vast majority of the people who have helped make that progress are not going to be part of um, any sort of future where they're contending again, and that includes Dom Smith. The other thing I would say, because the core of what's happening here is around Cabert Ruiz, the catcher, and C.J. Abrams, the shortstop, yeah. and the two young pitchers in Josiah Gray and, and, and Gore. Mackenzie Gore, there needs to be... Um, some sort of veteran presence, and that you, you mentioned Corbin earlier, um, that shows how you do this every day, even when there are struggles. Dom Smith fits that role now, and I also think one of the reasons that thing, this thing got steadied um, a little more quickly is that despite the offensive ups and downs of Louis Garcia at second, who's been sent to the minors, and Abrams early in the year, um, they played much better baseball, and that started with much better infield defense. And a lot of that is Dom Smith not only picking balls over there, but allowing the infielders to know that he's going to pick them so they could kind of let it loose. So there's my um, That's stump fair. case for Dom Smith is not the worst player in baseball. I'm not telling you that he should be re-signed or brought back. I'm telling you there's a reason why he's been rolled out there every day, and, and he's he's not the crux of any problem that has a oh. team 11 games. Oh, low. no. Oh, God, no. And they're better than I thought they were going to be. I and mean, he is a good defensive player. Now he's playing a little bit less because, as I say, Manessis has to get in there every day, right? And first base is, he's not as good as Dom Smith, but first base is not a position that saves you two runs every game because you make a great play in the field. It's not shortstop. No. No, 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 no. And you're you're right. I mean, Manessis's bat is um, it's not back to where it was last September, which was kind of a meteoric uh, yes. thing. Um, kind of the best story of last season. Um, but it's it's probably the most mature bat in in the lineup. And and again, but again, I it's it's interesting to hear you obsess about the minutia of the day to day of the local team 
of the fringe guys because my mind is so focused on it's why I was not at the afternoon game with the Red Sox yesterday. I was in Fredericksburg, Virginia to see the well, second overall pick in, in the draft. That's a smart like, thing to do. Yeah, you did the right thing. Guys who matter most are Abrams, Reeves, Greg, and guys we haven't seen yet either. So um, I think there's a fun future for this franchise. I'm not guaranteeing anything about 2024, but it, it feels like um, the first rise where um, – in the 2010 to 2011 offseason, when they were still very bad, they had Steven Strasburg on the way, they had Bryce Harper on the way, and they signed Jason Worth to a seven-year, $126 million contract that everybody kind of went like, wait, what? The Nationals? It feels like that time, like they're probably not ready to contend next year, but they're at a place where you can see contention and you can see where the holes are and you can see what is available this offseason and you can sell somebody, hey, you're this guy for this team and we need you here um, for not only your, your production on the field but for your clubhouse presence and your leadership because we're going to have a bunch of kids who um, are doing this for the first time. You've been through it. I don't know who that person is, but it feels like the right time for that kind of deal. That makes all the sense in the world to me, because as you say, you point to the history. You point to the Nats when they were waiting for the two kids, and they went out. And and the signing of Jason Wirth is one of the five most important things that ever happened to that team. You've been there since the beginning, right? That's one of the five most important. There's no question. It's not not just... You know, Worth struggled in the first year, and it took some time to get adjusted, and he admitted that having the big uh, contract attached to him weighed on him early. But throughout the game and amongst players, it gave them legitimacy. Um, and and yeah. because they were able to make the case to, to Worth, look, it's not about these 100 lost seasons we've just had. Here's what we have on the way here's how this is going to piece piece it together. And here's where you fit as kind of a fulcrum. Um, That's why it was important. It wasn't Jason worth is uh, he, he never made an all-star game as a, as a Nat. Um, They never won a world series uh, with him, Um, but he's a central piece of their history and their rise because he represented um, this can be done. Like, we're going to do this. Uh, and that's important, and that's a, a point where they are right now, I would argue. I'm going to root for Dom Smith for the rest of the season. I am. <laughs> I'm glad I convinced you of that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Thank you, Barry. Appreciate it, Tony. Thanks. Barry's Verluga. Can't wait to read the column on Dylan Cruz. Um, we'll take a break. We have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag. We're going to read some faxes and your nerves. Here comes Tony. 
is mail bag gonna read some for all you folks gonna read some for all I don't know how Dan Byrne got trapped into that <laughs> <clears throat> to sing along with Tom Mosser, but it's one of my favorites of all time. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad for us? No? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled, my friend. That's about it for us. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, because he gets up in the morning and he goes to work at 9 and he comes back home at 530 takes the same train every time because his world is built around punctuality it never fails and he's oh so good and he's oh so fine he's oh so healthy in his body and his mind he's a well-respected man <laughs> that's the kinks that's one of the brilliant kinks songs at the beginning of their run yes well-respected man you know and his own sweat smells the best. <laughs> yeah, There's another yeah, line in yeah. there. And he hopes to grab his father's loot when Peter passes <laughs> on. Thanks to our guests today. You didn't think I'd know every lyric. I did actually you? did. I knew you would. Thanks were. to our guests today, Pat Forty and Barry's Verluga. Thanks to our sponsors, Rocket Money and Me Undies. Uh, you remember you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple. Please leave us a review. So I got this lovely email from Michael Snyder in Jerusalem about the passing of his brother. And I'll just read it to you. I wanted you to know how much your show meant to my brother who died this week shortly after his 82nd birthday. He was not a guy who could find the pod. So I had the distinct honor of offering up a snippet or two each week as his world became smaller the past couple of years. He was an ODJ, an original disc jockey, starting on air at Syracuse University's WAER, where he was the sports guy. And Marv Albert, yes, that Marv (laughs) Albert was the newsman. They remained friends for life. Radio was his Washington Post, and he snuck into the pages of Teen Beat, Tiger Beat, and Shindig Magazine during the 60s in pictures with the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and Simon and Garfunkel, which are enclosed. You know, he loved hearing about your stellar recall of lyrics, and he told me, email your guy, Tony, and tell him I want a battle of the hits, (laughs) reminding me he never missed a ramp on an intro and could name that song in no notes. I told him to email you himself, and he said, guys like Tony and me, we don't email. We talk into microphones. He said that while you both love the Nats, he loved the real Nats from Syracuse. And when you read my email about Syracuse needing the 24-second clock on its to-be-issued postage stamp, he said, Tony and I know that the Nats saved the NBA. Danny Biasoni actually did it. The connective tissue works in many mysterious ways, this time with someone who recognized your name from the early PTI days, but connected through a never-heard mysterious medium. You'd have been great friends with Rick Snyder, the music provider, who always closed the shift with, it's nice to be important, it's more important to be nice. Isn't that sweet? That's lovely. That's sweet. Also, from Chris Campbell, this is very important. Oh, yeah. This was sent to us yesterday. Yeah. And it was says, today is our last sunset. A last 8 p.m. sunset until April of 2024. The days get shorter, the dark gets longer. Uh, April Bleak. of 2024. From Reese Knott, about my leg. Sounds like an old war injury to me. You rat, little bighorn, right? I'll hang up and listen. Reese is in an unnecessarily summer London. Brandon Borzelli. When rubbing that cream on your leg, be sure to apply the clear on top of it immediately after. You'd be driving 220 off the tee in no time. Just be aware you might get pitched around if you ever play in a PTI softball game. A haiku for a new leg from Shad. Possible options, wooden peg or bionic, it's 50-50. Tim Cree sends us a picture of his daughter's first day of fifth grade. 
and says, notice the TK salute. <laughs> she does appear to be. So wonderful. Both hands. With both hands, yes. Patrick Sitter, here's an ice cream flavor for you. Jenny's goat cheese with red cherries. Nope. Goat cheese? Nope, no Goat thank cheese. You. Next thing you know, they'll be making ice cream out of oats. <laughs> Patrick Sitter's wonderful. Well, that sounds terrifying to me. I'm thinking goat cheese with red cherries is a flavor Subaru drivers for now. Oh, 100%. From Matt uh, Abbottball. Who sent us the Hokas, I believe. That's right. From uh, the Commonwealth Running Company in Evanston, Illinois. I wasn't at the shop, but Tom Dore stopped by, which was very nice. He left a note, and the note is Loyal Littles Buying Shoes, Tom Dore. Everyone at the show is so fun to listen to. I always look forward to it. I really appreciate the support of the Littles. I echo Jared Freed's comment from Wednesday. Thank you for letting me part, be part of the universe on this podcast. From L- Rob Lowe in North Royalton, Ohio. Not that Rob Lowe. <laughs> Different. Over the last few weeks during the Indochino read, you've had an ongoing shaming session by Michael on your lack of knowing when the wedding season is. Although I am impressed with Michael's ability to pile on guilt, I'm stunned (laughs) that you have not put on your old reporter hat and investigated when wedding season actually is. Not only will it answer what now seems to be an aged-all question, but it would reestablish your male dominance at Uncle Benny's table. So I took the liberty to ask the Google machine, when is wedding season? The answer it gave me, May to October... So we are technically in the dog days of wedding season. However, one website suggested that peak wedding season is in September and October followed by June. So August may be like the all-star break of wedding season. So Michael, your righteous indignation of your dad's description of wedding season may be out of line as no one had September or October on the board. But hey, your underpants read are still pretty good. You got that going for you, which is nice. Very nice. From Carter. When's divorce season? Asking for a friend. That's funny. Mark Lynch in Camby, Indiana. You agree the quintessential version of you lost that love and feeling is by Hall and Oates. I'm unaware, I'm not aware of their of that version. Well. well, there's only one version. It's, it's the Righteous, the righteous Brothers. Brothers. That's so it. So I'm unaware that Hall and Oates did you've lost that loving feeling. I, I'm, I'm unaware. I'm sure, sorry. it's fine, but it's the Righteous Brothers. They're really Brothers. good. Yeah, Hall they are. Oates. They are, yes. From Mike Heideck. NBC, Connecticut oh, yeah, news Mike. anchor. Yeah, Mike's, Mike's come to see us before. Here's what Mike said. Jason Lockenfor's rant on Aaron Rodgers with the Vegas line, vitriol, <laughs> statistics, pure gold, Jerry. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Nigel and I looked at each other in the middle of that, and we went, oh, my God, Jason is out of control. It's so great. It really was. He hates Aaron yes. Rodgers. Yes. Let's be fair. Yes, he is not a fan. From Ed Sharrick in Baltimore. This email comes from a loyal fan going back to the 980 days. By the way, I've been directing the video for the Orioles since Memorial Stadium days, the good old days where we got crab cakes every night in the press lounge. I'd be honored if I could be the official Major League Baseball video board director for the Tony Kornheiser show. Sure. Best of luck with your leg, but remember a line from MASH. You know, my father lost both legs in the Great War. Never missed him. Said he lived longer not having to tie his laces. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Kevin Kosky who writes Kevin Drowning in Scotch. Knowing your affinity for bathrobes and hotels, the family and I just checked into a quaint little spot in the middle of Scotland called the Glen Eagles Hotel. Yeah, it's, it's one of the greats. <laughs> it's cute, and it boasts a nice four-bathrobe situation, as well as complimentary robes and slippers for my two young non-masculine children. Oh, and tell Michael, I hear the golf is nice. It's probably going to rain tomorrow. Glen Eagles is, is a world-famous. Yeah, that raises hotel. the bar a little bit there. Okay. From Mike Bridges. More than four decades ago, I was born, raised, and higher educated in Virginia. So I've been your boy from post to PTI to the pod. I even ate a chatter once. Once. I'm now a youth librarian in Homosassa, Florida, 
and Tuesday is story time day. I pride myself on preparation, but on a recent Tuesday, I found myself a book short, making a quick shelf run for another book. This one looks good. Family in a car, doing something, check. I skimmed through the book quickly, noticed there was a song in the middle. I can read music a little bit, so I'm not concerned. Actually relieved that I can sing that one. We won't have to check in on what the wheels on the bus are up to this week. <laughs> As I'm reading aloud, imagine my surprise and delight when I turn the page and I'm suddenly leading a choir of Kentucky Derby eligibles in a rousing chorus of, we're going to the zoo, zoo, zoo. <laughs> I laughed. They laughed at me, but probably we're all thinking, why is the zoo funny? <laughs> Though their dismay did not rise to the level of thrown poo. After cleanup time, Mr. Mike reminded them if they were out on their bikes tonight, like they were going to be out on their bikes at night, their three do wear white. <laughs> if only one of them could have summoned up a hearty lachiserie that have gotten free Tillamook for the rest of the summer. And from Jason Bullock, Chuck and Roxy, episode 31 in Saratoga County, New York, but vacationing in Hampton Beach, New Hampshire at the time of this email. Just wanted to give you a traffic update from Hampton Beach, New Hampshire, a.k.a. the Rehoboth Beach of New England. Route 1A is crowded with cars, tourists, and the like. Don't even bother to come to town. <laughs> um, we got a couple more. Kevin O'Brien, uh, do we now have the Mount Rushmore of hot things? Hot bagels, hot bink hangover, hot bench, and hot skin? That's it? That's the list? <laughs> if I made a documentary about it, could I get a four or five interview, post, four or five hour interview, post lighting and makeup to get your take? Thanks. Jack Bishop, as talented as Amy Posner is, maybe she should replace Dom Smith at first base for the Nats. Mm, that's yeah. a thought. And from Alex in Springfield, Missouri, episode 152. Is everybody on this podcast? Apparently so. In the Grammarly ad on Monday, you said, if I'm angry, you'll know. Of course we'll know. That's the basis of every episode. <laughs> what I wasn't sure how to process was your next phrase, if I'm happy, you'll know. Would we? Would we? The show didn't earn the moniker Death Star Radio by Tony being happy. What would make me happy is you telling Brian Moeller, episode 167, to eat it. If you're out on your bike time, everyone, as always, do wear white. Oh, Teddy, did you get my friend request? Oh, I'll have to check. I am a fan of the big four, of the big four, I'm a fan. Washington State, Oregon State, Cal and the Stanford Band. The big four has a glowing history, I'm happy and proud to say. Joe Cap, John Elway, Gardner Minshew, TJ Jade. This fall maybe you'll be watching Bama, Michigan, Ohio State. But I'll be tuned to the big four in the shadow of the Golden Gate. How could anybody look away? How could anybody not care? The Beavers and the Cougars, the Cardinal and the Golden Bears. Big four, that's my conference. The big four's how I roll. Rah, 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 and see those boys stumble toward the goal. Come for the lore of the big four. Stay for how they play. Joe Cap, John Elway, Gardner Minshew, TJ Husmanja Day. Joe Cap, John Elway, Gardner Minshew, TJ Husmanja Day. Jones, Jones. I pursue 